All right, recording in progress. You heard it? Yep, mm -hmm. sure did. Okay. <laughs> that means we're live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tuned Into Tennis with Miles David. I am your host, Miles David, and we are here to bring you a wonderful wrap-up of the 2023 Australian Open. And when I say we, I am joined by two good friends of mine who I enjoy talking tennis tea with you guys know what that means that's an insider um <laughs> uh brian and vic brian and vic we were actually supposed to do i think it was a australian open preview episode that we recorded i want to say it was for the 2021 australian open or the 2022 australian open but me and my computer had a breakdown so that oh. never happened <laughs> Um, so here we are again. I figured it would be great to kind of uh, pick up where we left off all that time ago and talk about the Australian Open just this time, the one that just finished a couple days ago, the one that I am wrapping my head around and trying to adjust my sleeping pattern uh, post-Australian Open too. So, um, hey, Brian. Hey, Vic. Uh, I'll go Vic since you are currently driving while we record this. How are you doing, Vic? I'm doing well. How's everyone doing today? Blessed and highly favored. Hey, Brian. <laughs> Always. I'm doing well, too. Just frozen in my hotel room in Austin. I mean, that sounds like a wonderful <laughs> birthday to me. Right. Exactly. But excited. Save to a horse, talk ride a cowboy. Did you say save a horse, ride a, ride a cowboy? Oh, wait, that's a good idea, Brian. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I'm sure you can find somebody with a cowboy head. Right. All right. Speaking of guys in cowboy heads, I feel like we should kind of start with the men the men side of things we already discussed well i should say we i already discussed uh the australian open first week so we're going to focus this episode on the second week of australian open so quarterfinals and on and i guess we can start with the big picture and kind of get into the weeds of things thereafter the big picture is novak djokovic wins his 10th australian open and 22nd overall grand slam title and returns to world number one where a lot of people feel like he rightfully should be and when i say a lot of people i mean vic <laughs> always <laughs> vic what are you what were your feelings on the last uh ball of the match when Djokovic won it all, how did you feel? There's a um, one of my favorite songs from last year, Lizzo. About damn time sums up how I feel when I when I see Djokovic. You know, because it was about damn time. It's been a long time coming, a return to form, and Djokovic just anchoring himself as one of the best athletes of all time. And this isn't just a Djokovic Novak number one the goal podcast right now, or me saying how awesome he is. It really is about about damn time for this to happen. <laughs> the level he's playing at while injured is uncanny. It's unparalleled. And it just shows when you're kind of tested halfway, things you can't accomplish. And I'll just give you a taste of that right now. Just a taste oh. of what you get so far. But yes, <laughs> just a taste. Vic, you mentioned you mentioned being injured. Did you get the ESP notification earlier today? I think as we record this, that um, no, it was I, it was un, it was unveiled. Wait, is that unveiled? Unveiled. Unveiled. That unveiled that he was able to compete with a three centimeter almost an inch tear in his hamstring allegedly yeah, yeah, of course i mean i have to put um, allegedly, out allegedly there. champions push didn't um i hate saying that loser but didn't someone else who was in the grand um what the finals indian wells have like a, a, a rib fracture or something or is this always something with some famous person that's always doing something who can't for a second 
for, a, for a second, Vic, I really thought Taylor Fritz was getting strays. I was like, what did Taylor Fritz do to you? <laughs> like, geez. Oh, no, we, love her. we love our Americans, you know? <laughs> Great things are coming. Not, not the Nadal shade. I mean, I mean, but I mean, they both have that in common. If you remember, I, I remember, and I, I'm, I'm sure you do, Vic. Your guy Novak Djokovic used to pull out over having hangnails. Okay, so they both, they both have had oh, in, injury yeah. issues. So, but when it you say, definitely tough. when you say about damn true. time, when you say about damn time, are you referring to the fact that he couldn't play at all last year, and then that kind of affected his ranking? Yes, uh, well, I mean, well, last year, Djokovic was kind of screwed everywhere. He, he being, being deported in Australia, losing points, not being able to play, and then Wimbledon taking this uncanny stance about points and no points and rankings. He won that and got nothing. So if you look at his record for everything he did last year, it's pretty peak tennis outside of the Serbia Open when it was his first tournament back, and he lost. He got big in the third set, and that's his first tournament back so, I mean, look at that compared to the cakewalks that Nadal gets every Grand Slam. It's just, it's a return to form. <laughs> Truly. Uh, and you forgot wasn't able to play a U.S. Open either. He still can't play that. So you mean to tell me he plays every other month. You know, he lost Paris in the finals. Again, first tournament. It takes time to get the wheels going. And when they're going consistently, Djokovic is there. And if he's healthy 100%, Djokovic is there. I mean, he's winning even when he isn't 100% healthy, allegedly. So, I mean, I, I get I get that broader point, even though, I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, even before we just rebranded, um, you know that I'm not Novak Djokovic's number one fan. I, I, am, I am really trying to be as, what's the word you used earlier, Brian? Impartial. I'm trying to be impartial and as fair as possible to just report the stuff as it happens. And I mean, Novak Djokovic, you did say something earlier that I agree with. He is absolutely, even if I'm not a fan of the way he goes about his tennis, the way he goes about some of his off-court stuff, he is absolutely one of the best athletes of the past 20 years in any sport. I mean, I, he the, the things he's able to do on a tennis court, sometimes to his detriment, he makes a lot of it look super easy. So, right. you know, for that, I give him a head nod and a, a golf clap uh, for his. For that his is payments. the nicest thing I've heard you say or tweet <laughs> in a very long time. I, I mean, you that. I mean, Vic, you, Vic you don't you don't understand how boring it is to, like, repeat the fact that this man has won an Australian Open for the 10th time. You would. Can you put yourself in my shoes for a second and realize how boring that is? <laughs> you don't think it's boring at all? When I watch the French Open, you know how much I hate it. <laughs> very fair very fair yeah that's fair and i mean to be to be completely honest i'm not a huge um like when i bring up nadal's greatness the whole like 14 plus french open thing it is wild but i also think just from a tennis viewer standpoint it would have been nice somewhere along the line if we got like different champions outside of novak djokovic and, Ro and roger federer over the past 20 years but alas you know this is the this is the the era that we're living in and we're going to probably be living in it for a while because i mean looking forward to the next couple of tournaments and obviously grand slams the French and Wimbledon, I mean, how do you not put jo Novak Djokovic's name in the top two, if not number one, um, contenders? Before before we even get to those surfaces, he's he's already the, the major the major factor, I believe, especially because he just won this Australian Open with the hamstring tear, allegedly, and only dropped oh one set. 
Yeah. That's crazy. It was one set only. And then the set he dropped was to... Let me scroll down, because I don't even think I ever mentioned this. He only dropped a set to... Yeah, I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say a qualifier from France. Sorry, qualifier from France. I, I don't want to butcher your name here live on the podcast. But yeah, you, you put up a good fight. And then Novak Djokovic, you know, he beats Stefano Sissipas, who is was seated higher than him in this tournament. He beat him in straight sets, uh six three, seven, six, seven, six, which I believe a lot of people have said that that score line is very generous to Steph. Steph really didn't ever seem like he was going to take one of those sets, even when he had set point, I believe, in the second set. So, Yes, that's fair. How did, yeah, how... that, it, it did not look very good. I, I would say especially that first set, I was like, is is anyone else even on the court with Novak? Because, like, <laughs> it just – I had never seen Steph play so poorly, like, for that ex- length of time. And then finally in the second set, even when he was up, it just, it never looked like he was in control. So that, yeah, that, that's a very accurate statement when it comes to the level of play for sure. What do you feel like is the takeaway from Sitsipas's overall like momentum in game? Because he didn't have to face a single top 10 player or top 10 seed to get into the final. So a lot that's of people, crazy. I know, right? A lot of people would say like that sets you up for being able it, it, to, two schools of thought some people might think that sets you up for greatness because you have kind of kept the you you should have been able to kept your elite elite level somewhere close to your to your bag and not be able to kind of put it all out there on the court because you're not facing the uh the most elite of opposition and then the other school of thought is that sometimes that can hinder you because if you're not pushed until the very last hurdle you're not used to being pushed so it's kind of like you're gonna you're kind of pulling from reserves that haven't been pulled from in a while you know over a two-week tournament although granted he did have a five setter with center um so even though center is not technically top 10 i would i would put his game as like a a top top 10 10, for sure yeah easily yeah but yeah, other than that center match where he went five sets, yeah, he he really didn't have to pull out much, it looks like. And uh, yeah, he just looked really nervous the entire finals. He wasn't really hitting his forehand at all. He wasn't going after it. He just was making errors. It just didn't look like a typical Stefanos match. But I mean, I've never played in the finals of a Grand Slam, so I'm sure nerves are going to be part of it. But it's not like it was his first time either. Like I felt like at least at the French, he looked when he made it to the finals, he looked like he was, you know, able, like should be out there. But at Australian Open, it just looked like he didn't even deserve to be out there on the court. He just did not bring his A game, which, you know, happens sometimes. Vic, I have a question for you. Do you think sometimes, and I have a, I have a feeling that you're going to have an overwhelming yes to this, but do you think <laughs> that do you think that players before they even you know get themselves acclimated into a set or in a match against Djokovic, do you think they have a healthy belief that they're going to beat him, especially in Australia or pretty much any hardcore for that for that matter? I think you have to believe because why would you be there if you didn't? I think yeah. that. Um, that at the highest level that everyone competes and they're all athletes. So of course they want their name in the next um, gen wave. Their time is pushing and the new wave is coming out now. The senators are out there, the Carlitos. So this wave um, that the guys are in right now, their time is, is fleeting. And so I think that that they see the cracks that Nadal is beat up at Indian Wells, that Djokovic is injured. He lost Serbia Open uh, in Bago to Rublev last year. So, I mean, he also lost Paris the finals. So the Novak we see, 
now is not losing to Sam Query, the second round of Wimbledon anymore, but he may lose in quarterfinals, <laughs> semifinals, or another finals. Great, great parts in tournaments where the points, the, the money's there and everything. But yeah, right. you have to believe in yourself. And I do think that it might be time for a sports psychologist for some players who play against the, the you know, the Novak, because there's no way he should have lost that French Open final down two sets in a break, I believe. Mm. And I mean, uh, and then this only that draws on you. That draws by at your first final, and your specialty is clay. Now that's that messes with people. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And now that you're in your second Grand Slam final, and you lose so comfortably to somebody who is, you know, albeit on paper he should have lost that match, but I don't know if he should have lost it in the manner he lost it. It should have been competitive. It yeah. should have been closer than that for sure. And then now he's 0-2 in finals. Both of them are losses to Djokovic. So, I mean, in some ways I can see how he can spin that and be like, you know, well, I lost to somebody who is going to be a Hall of Famer. But on the other hand, like you on in one of those matches, you should have won. Like fairly, you should have you should have won. And in the other one, you kind of didn't show up. So I don't know if it's time for a sports psychologist. I just have a feeling that as a Sissipas is 24 now, he'll be 25 in 2023. I feel like it is time for him to look himself in the mirror and ask himself how long he's going to travel the world with his dad and allow his dad to be like the captain of the ship. Because that's kind of how it feels. It feels like his dad is the captain of the ship, even with Sissipas being the athlete out there. He's always looking up to his dad. They have verbal sparring. And, you know, like verbal sparring with your coach and stuff is relatively fair, especially if you're an Andy Murray fan or anything like that. I mean, even, you know, Serena Williams, like a lot of our faves give it to their boxes in the heat of the moment because it's one-on-one, it's one-on-one out there. You got to get some of that energy and stuff out. However, right. I feel like it's a different, it's a different kettle of fish when you are looking up at your father who, <laughs> who cradled you as a baby. And I mean, and to some respect showed you the game. And I, I feel he may feel like he wouldn't even be half of where he is now without his father. I just don't know if he's ever going to get to the potential a lot of the tennis pundits have uh you know claimed for him as a future world number one grand slam champion unless he learns how to fly on his own a little bit and maybe he's nervous that if he releases his dad from you know captain of the ship he's going to fail a little bit and that might be true but i I feel like you at, at this point almost 25 years old how many effective people have you how many people in tennis have you realistically seen be able to allow their father or mother for that for that uh for that matter be the head coach and still see success there it's it's kind of rare when think about it. Yeah. and when you say that i think of a few people when did maria let go of yuri her father that comes to mind when he he you know he popped off against a justin henna match um <laughs> donald young from chicago how long are his parents still involved and heavily involved with him? And where did he plateau? Um, I look at Sloan, queen of inconsistencies. Um, well, she was love... coached by her parents, really. But her mom was still heavily involved, though. Mm-hmm. Every back, sh- she's there. And I, just I mean, we love, we love Sybil, though. We do love Sybil. Oh, we do love Sybil. <laughs> <laughs> do no wrong. Sloan, Sloan, do no wrong. But I do think that... And then I think of the queen of the cake... Um, Carol Bouchard and the Bouchards in Canada when the parents are heavily involved. Camilla Georgie's father. 
So mm. I just think that yeah. they're in an interesting dynamic, but um, at the no. level between coach and parent, for sure. No, no King Richard reference. No, what reference, what? Brian? I said no King Richard. I mean, I, even to 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 my standpoint, I mean, yeah. Venus and Serena, they they accomplished so much with Richard being there, but I feel like yeah. they almost accomplished just as much with him not being there. To yeah. to be fair, I mean, I think the biggest uh, example of that is Serena. I mean, well, Serena definitely accomplished more after him, but I think yeah, Venus probably about fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just don't think it's that like long run when the racket is up and he's like looking at his career, I would hate for him to, you know, look back and be like, you know, mm, I should have, I should have given my, I should have given myself more uh, leeway to try and get a different, a different leading ear or a different leading voice in my ear. And he has, he has the voice of Mark Philippus is right there in the box, but it seems like even, right. it seems like even uh, what's his, what's the, what's his father's name? Um, I forgot. It's uh, it's 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 losing me. But even Father Sitsipas seems like he has a he has a tight rope on Mark Philippoussis as well as what he can say too. So it just seems like everybody's under his thumb, and it's not really leading to the utmost best results for Sitsipas. So we will see. I'll keep an eye on that. Apostolos. Apostolos. Thank you, thank you, Brian, for being our leading journalist here at Tune Into Tennis. <laughs> Going back to Vic's question earlier, I guess who are you guys most excited to see kind of break through or have some some success at the Australian Open. Was that I thought Vic's question was who were you most disappointed by? But we can, oh, we can that's talk about true. that too. <laughs> I, either one of those questions. <laughs> let's let's uh do most disappointed by. I mean we I've talked about it like I said before in the in the previous episode talking about part one. But I will say just in terms of week two, I'm super disappointed. Not necessarily in the result because the result kind of felt like it was going to be a win for Novak either way. But I'm disappointed in the way Rublev went about uh, his match against Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Another competitor that just was not there on the day. And Rublev, for all intents and purposes, felt like he was not even going to get a set in that match before the match started. So I'm dis- I'm disappointed by, by a guy who's been a perennial top 10 player who comes up against the best in the world, not being able to kind of drop his shoulders and go out there and fight. I mean, he won. He Rublev lost six one six two six four. Like right. you get people are supposed to get beat that bad in first and second round against top seeded players. I mean, when you're in the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam and you've yet to get past that round and you're a top five seed, I would have liked to see more oomph behind the behind the 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 tactics out there. But again, that speaks to Rublev kind of having his foot on the gas and only having one dimension to play. But overall, I was, I was disappointed by how that match looked. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, This was more like end of the first week, but Felix, obviously not to take anything away from Mm -hmm. Laheshka. I mean, he had a great, great tournament at the the Aussie open, but you you shouldn't be losing to Laheshka. I'm sorry. He shouldn't, but I will say I'm interested in you guys' opinion on Felix since you just brought it up. I will say this. It's not good that he did not take advantage of what was a really good draw around him. A he, really good draw. Because he should have – you switch out Laheshka for Felix and you don't, you don't know how that quarterfinal match – uh, with against Sissipas works out. I mean, Sissipas ended up beating Leheshka pretty fairly, and right. Sissipas and Felix have an interesting head to head. Felix has beat him a couple times, right? Right. I will say, even though I'm disappointed he didn't at least get one match further, 
Felix did not play well in the Australian Open overall, and he still got three match wins. For that, I am happy because Felix is the perennial, so far in his career, he's been the perennial type of player that if he's not playing well, he's not getting close to a W. He's just not getting close to it. So the fact that he got the fact that he got three and he really wasn't playing well gives me some level of hope that he's leveling out. He's leveling out his bad days, if that makes sense. And a lot of people have said over the years that if you don't, if you aren't winning, if you aren't able to win even when you're not playing quote unquote well then you're a champion is not what you'll be. So hopefully he takes away right. that from the Australian Open, hopefully. Yeah, that's true. Vic, what I do you think? Really have, yeah, I didn't really have any other disappointments at all, I'd say. Anybody disappoint you, Vic? He might be dry. Oh, Vic, you're on mute. I don't know if you know you're, you're on mute or not. <laughs> <laughs> he might be he bobbing might. and weaving the traffic. Um. Okay, so I, other other people... Go ahead, Brian, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I can answer the other question though, as far as like surprises or people who I liked. I can answer that question. I mean, Go right ahead. I feel like, and, and we're going to, we're going to hit this and then we're going to go to the women's side of things for the second week. So I can stand one of my favorite players. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I was impressed with Karen Hatchinoff. He didn't do anything overtly impressive to me, but I am impressed now that he's made it to his second consecutive Grand Slam semifinal on hard court, especially when, you know, both times nobody really saw that coming. So it right. seems like if you give Karen Hatchinoff a sliver of opportunity, it seems these days he's going to take it. And he's been one of those players. He, he, he's been right there in the conversation with Rublev, with Medvedev at one point to be a part of this next gen wave. And then after he kind of was in that kind of in that conversation, he quickly kind of, you know, uh, sailed on out of it. So I think this is a good step in the right direction for him. He reminds me so much of Marat Safin. And I think he said as much that Marat Safin is a big uh, inspiration for him. Obviously, mm -hmm. two tall Russians, uh, pretty penetrating ground strokes and, and good serves. And they kind of like their game styles, just their, the aesthetics of their game styles and stroke production look alike a little bit to me. Not, not on that forehand. They do. No, they definitely that, do. That forehand is a, a a monster of its own. The way he produces it, but um, I, I was I was impressed. I mean, he took a set off of Setsipas in the semifinals. Um, he got a little a little bit. I don't want to say lucky, but his opponent in the quarterfinals did retire in Sebastian Corda. So yeah, I mean, I'm, the takeaway from Karen Hatchinoff is that now he's somebody who's been to the quarterfinals or better at all four Grand Slams. So you know, he can tell that to his grandkids. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment for sure. <laughs> how do you feel about, I mean, going back to Sebastian Corda just very briefly, how do you feel about where we are with American men's tennis? Because Sebastian Corda was not the only American men in the quarterfinals. He was accompanied by Tommy Paul, who went on to the semifinals, and Ben Shelton. I think I saw a stat that it's like currently. 10 American men in the top 50. That's that is correct. That's correct. That's, that's what 20% of the top 50 are American. That's pretty impressive. Stats, um, stats are not points now before we lose them. <laughs> <laughs> are, you referring, gonna, are you referring to the clay court season, uh, Vic? You know, you know, they got Mexico right now, then they got clay, and then whatever tournament they want to call Houston champ US championships or something. <laughs> Is that, and, then, and then what do we do? What happens like clockwork? 
I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing. The men's results typically over the past couple of years are not the greatest on European clay. So you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But That's it was good statement. Yeah, no. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to be positive about the guys here because I mean, I I left. The, I mean, I didn't I didn't go to Australia, but like as a fan and watching a lot of the matches, I left the Australian Open feeling pretty up and up about American men's tennis. Because I mean, when was the last time we've had a feeling like this that American men could possibly be, you know, dominating the top fifteen of the world? You know, because I mean, that doesn't seem like it's too far off. With like twenty years ago, I know, right? <laughs> was, Have was, we ever had that feeling? Yeah, we've had. I well, mean, American when? not since like Agassi and Sanford. Agassi, yeah, so like back in the day, like. Yeah, that's that, true. Since I'm not being shady right now, but I'm thinking like, I mean, John never really does anything. I don't have to see Atlanta championships eight years in a row on my resume. <laughs> Is that a 250, a 350, wait, 375? 375. Wait, are you, are these, uh, is this, what's his name? John isn't there catching strays? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I don't mind that. <laughs> you know, I'm playing with an 03 Prince red racket still. So, you know, which is fine, you know? Um, yeah, American men, like, I just want to show me where the money is, you know? Um, like, Francis, like, show me. Like, at this point, like, what's up? He is um, showing more consistency. I, I, will, I will say uh, Francis is, like, starting to do it, like, tournament after tournament, but I just want to see him, like, keep it up for sure because he's, he's, yes. he's getting some good wins for sure. But I feel like he's giving me what Sloan did when she was just, like, starting off, you know, like, when she's in the final, she wins, collects the checks. But if she's not in the final, she's not showing up. And that's the vibe I'm getting off of him right now, which is fine. Right. But um, I know I missed um, my disappointments. But for me, it would have to be Felix and then um, Berrettini. I feel like you're coming oh, in. Oh, yeah. I, um, I know it was around one match and you talked about it, but I just have to address it. Like, Andy Murray's good. He's a legend, Hall of Famer. No questions asked. But for you to just play so, like, unfocused the first set, set and a half, and then come back, then do all the stuff, and then just lose like that, it just reaffirms that that, that Netflix thing came out too soon <laughs> to the open, and that added pressure to people. I think it added pressure and put some eyes, which is really interesting because, I mean, as far as I can see, I'll maybe expand on this on a different episode or a YouTube uh, a YouTube video or something. But no one's really checking for that for that uh, video or for that series anymore. It, it didn't even trend on Netflix. It, like, you know, how Netflix, when something's really trending, it, yeah. it shows you in the first page when you open there. Yeah. Breakpoint didn't even show up for me. Yeah, because I had it to go really? yeah. it did for me. For me, it, it, it was it, it like wasn't plastered. Maybe oh. the maybe the algorithm knows me, and I. But I've never watched anything tennis related on Netflix. So I, I exactly. Think. Maybe that's why. But I had to go looking for Breakpoint on Netflix. Trust me, I was like, okay, where is it? Like, oh really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, was, I tried to watch it the night before because I'm thinking like, oh, at Vegas time, it'll be on. No, I have to wait till midnight, and I pushed through. I, I you know, text the group chat. I liked it, but that's because I love tennis, though. I love. I, it. I enjoyed like, it too. My DNA. I really enjoyed. It. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was because a lot of people were hating on it for a lot. Uh, but I, I actually enjoyed it as well. Well, somebody I mean, who wasn't that... somebody who wasn't on there and deserves a pretty good shout out more than we've given him already. Before we switch over to the women, uh, Ben Shelton. I mean, you mentioned prize money and checks and stuff like that. For a guy that's never even got a a, a, a stamp on his passport, he did pretty darn well in his first. Right. His, his second Grand Slam tournament ever, first time out of the country, gets all the way to the quarterfinals. Unfortunately, loses to Tommy Paul. But I mean, I think Ben Shelton's, I think he pretty much turned his 
ranking in half. I believe he's in the top 45 in the world now. So, right. I mean, that's 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 darn good. And he's a lefty, and I have a soft spot for lefties as one myself. So okay. I'm I'm excited about where we go with men's tennis, even if we experience somewhat of a dip in clay. But I, I do have to say, Sebastian Corda does have a clay court title in on European clay in the last two years. He won Parma in 2021. <laughs> ah, yes. So he's he can he can play on clay. I think Tommy Paul is actually pretty uh, comfortable on clay. I mean, this was back in juniors, but he won the junior French Open men's title uh, or junior mm-hmm. French Open boys title, I should say. So I think I, 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 overall, I feel like we we leave. Would you say would you say Vic? Did Vic say something? Maybe someone's at his his place of residence. Vic is our wild Vic is our wild card, guys. Um, yeah, I I I personally feel like you know outside of the person I didn't want to win or didn't wasn't rooting for to win the uh the men championship, it was a pretty it was entertaining ish. How do you feel, Brian? Oh, I will give a shout out to the doubles champ, Hubler, and how do you pronounce his name? Is it? Oh, uh, Rinky. Hijikata? Rinky? It's, uh... I think it's Rinky Hijikata. I think it's, yeah, Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler won the men's doubles as wild card, and they're both from Australia, so that was a nice moment for them. It was almost like a deja vu of last year. I don't know if, if Nick and Tokenakis were wild cards or not, but having Nick another <laughs> don't start. I knew, I knew Nick, that was going. Nick, yes. Nick Nick who? Nick who who's that? <laughs> who said that? <laughs> I don't know if they were wild cards or not, but like it was kind of cool seeing like more Australians come kind of not I mean kind of out of nowhere to just like be upsetting all these really good, you know, successful doubles teams. So that was nice to see some fresh Fresh blood, get a, get a title. And shout out to doubles. I mean, people always say it's a different sport than singles, and I, I see that, but I mean, they, they deserve wow. a lot of respect as well, too. So um, let's take a quick break, unless Vic has anything he, want to, he wants to say briefly before we hop over to the women. <laughs> he's, he's got 20 seconds. He's got 20 seconds if he wants it. The end of, you know, um, the biggest thing is a return to form for Novak, and I oh, think God. it sets up... <laughs> An exciting year <laughs> as we see a, an ailing Rafa compete, and no one else is going to um, eclipse this. It's Novak show this year, and I'm super excited. Okay, let's go over to the women's show very briefly. I'll see you guys <laughs> on the other side. See ya. <laughs> all right, recording in progress for part two. Let's get into all things women's singles in the 2023 Australian Open. And let's kind of follow that same format that we did for the first half in the men's singles. Let's go straight to the champion who deserves all the respect and accolades as it is Arena Sabalenka, the first-time champion and uh, now world number two on the WTA rankings. And then we'll kind of go into the weeds of things. But first, like I said, let's give all credit to Arena Sabalenka for vanquishing some of her demons especially at the service line uh to get herself into not only the first final of her career but again like i said the very first major grand slam championship of her career i feel like it's been a long time coming as a sabalenka fan since 
I've known of her. I want to say I've known of Sabalenka and her talent since 2017. And I've kind of just seen, you know, it's been incremental success on the tour and in Grand Slams. And obviously it's been well documented that she's had some strife and struggles at the semifinal stage for her to kind of, you know, not only leap over that and get into the final, but but also win it. I feel like it's a huge step for her. And I'm excited. I, she played her and her opponent. I have to give some respect to Rabakana as well. But she played as well of a as well as a women's final as I've seen in the past couple of years in Australia. So I left the Australian Open specifically from the women's side of things, feeling really, really good about where we go in women's tennis. And I would love to hear from you guys how you felt about that final and overall about the second week of women's tennis. I'll start with you first, Brian, since you are also a lover of big babe tennis. Like <laughs> I was going to say, it's definitely <laughs> some big babe tennis. Um, it's, it's, it has been pretty rare where we've had like a three set, like final where all sets were competitive. I can't remember that happening anytime recently in the last five my years. Mind, my mind went straight to Davenport and Venus for whatever reason. I have no idea why, but... I really can't think of any since then, to be honest. Like, oh, Kerber, Kerber and Serena was kind of competitive. I didn't like the ending result, but Kerber and Serena was kind of competitive. Yeah. But that wasn't was, that wasn't big babe tennis, you know? So. And some of those sets were kind of lopsided, too, weren't they? Like, this one, it was Extremely like... Extremely second set. Extremely. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for that reminder, Vic. I try to remove that match very far away from my psyche. But, you know. I know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm definitely excited for her. I, she's definitely had her chances. I thought she was going to get it in 2021 U.S. Open. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was, like, her year. And then I could I saw her getting it at Wimbledon, and then that didn't happen. So, like you said, the incremental steps have definitely been there. So I'm glad she kind of got over the hump because it's one of those things where it does start to play in your mind mentally where you're like, am I ever going to win? Because like, I've had all these chances where I was so close. So I'm definitely excited to see her. Also excited to see Rabakina, you know, having a, a good result at a slam the year after she wins her first one because obviously we've seen time after time on the WTA, people win a slam and you don't see anything from them for the next three, four, five years, or maybe never. So seeing her have another good result, you know, not long after her first win, that's that's definitely good, you know, a good, a good showing as well. I agree. Vic, are you team Rabakano or team Sabalenka? I'm team good tennis. (laughs) And I think that I'm all about the story. And I think that we've had two amazing stories from both of these young ladies um, over the past eight months, winning the Wimbledon crown, the story from disowning Russia, not having any funding. I think that's beautiful. And I think her coming back after the Asian swing in the fall, um, losing everything and coming back again. So I think it's great. But I think Sabs has had a hell of a year, too, though. Her and kind of being the rival to Barty a few years back on clay, mm-hmm. always being in the top spot. And I think that it gives everyone a new talking point, especially the female commentators, Martina, <laughs> Pam, um, Mary Jo. When she's going to do it, she has all the tools. It's just like, okay, it's done now. It's in the bag. <laughs> give me something else. But I do respect the game. I actually got a bunch of texts from a tennis league saying they call me Vic parentheses Sabs. You finally did it. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, is that how I play? Is that how it is? You know, I thought I modeled my game after a different player, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm hitting my double faults right now. So something to work on. But yeah, um, you know, I'm definitely happy for the story and it's time. And sometimes that 
things work out, you play the draw. And I'm shy because she could have lost earlier on. She's always in, in that inconsistent, but it's a toss-up. I never know what, what I'm going to get. Right. And so I'm very happy that you put in the hard work. It's a beautiful story. And she did it. She did. So I mean, that was say. my <laughs> that was my response as soon as she got the final point. I, was, I mean, I was live commentating on YouTube, something I've been enjoying doing the past couple of months. Um, I, I I just felt really thrilled for her. Again, I'm trying to be, you know, uh, what's that word again, Brian, that I'm, I'm working on? Impartial. I'm trying to be impartial and just report the news. But I, I like Sabalenka. She she draws you in with her with for me with her game, and then on top of that, her personality. But I do have to say, I and I feel like I've documented this very um, loudly and clearly on my <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> me and Rabakina didn't really see eye to eye on some things, especially when she uh, won Wimbledon. I, no one saw that coming. I don't think anybody had her in the final, the semifinal, anything like that. But to her, wow. to her credit, she played amazing tennis. However, her 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 steps and her statements after winning Wimbledon were things I did not agree with. It had nothing to do with her country. It had everything to do with her feeling like she deserved a better court positioning or a show court positioning after winning Wimbledon. And I personally disagree because I could name about ten more women that I felt like deserved, uh, you know, center court, Rod Laver Arena, things of that nature over Rabakina, even with that Wimbledon title on her resume. So I. I I personally am not of the school of thought that winning a Grand Slam automatically makes you a, a champion and somebody who deserves all the primetime, uh, you know, video coverage and great court spots. But I will say she would she did, she did really big good wonders for herself in this tournament by beating world number one, Iga Swiatek, uh, Yelena Ostapenko, who's always somewhat of a tough out. And then Victoria Azarenka, a former world number one and two-time slam, two-time slam champion, two times here in Australia. She beat all of those players in succession to get to the final, and she put in a really, really good final. So I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm picking up a little bit more stock on Rebecca than I had uh, going into Australia. So for that, I'm happy. Vic, you have your hand up. Did you, did you purposely put your hand up, Vic? Yes, I did. So oh, okay. Put <laughs> it out there, um, stirring the pot. If you're going to win a tournament, what tournament do you want to win and be known for? Wimbledon, like, for sure. Wimbledon. yeah, I think it'd be Wimbledon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious. That's it. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Is this pushback to my thoughts on Rabakina not <laughs> yes. deserving? Yeah, I think, she, a yeah, I think that it's something. It's giving Wozniacki right now. Whoa, where's she playing? Is she playing on court twelve? <laughs> Is it court two? Well, she just won the Wimbledon. He had the U.S. Open. I get it. I hear you, but she just won Wimbledon, so. Get a little saucy with it. You got it. I mean, Rabakina, I feel like she would be the first one to say she's not very outspoken. There's before, after winning Wimbledon, she also couldn't be found on the tennis court. I believe she she lost first. She lost, you know, one of her first two matches for the rest of the season. She and she lost first round of the U.S. Open. There was no real storyline to kind of pick her up and put her on the very uh, biggest show courts, either at the U.S. Open or or um or Australia before she got to the you know the quarter semifinals and finals because she played all of her matches on Rod Laver from that point forward which is which I think is good 
But she was also the number 22 seed, and I do understand she was kind of bit in the butt a little bit by Wimbledon not giving points because she very well could have been a top 10 seed. And maybe the points allocated with the Wimbledon win and her being close to the top 10 after that would have somehow given her a storyline. But I personally can totally see if I'm a tournament director looking at all of the names in women's tennis, and we know women's tennis is full of names and potential of players that can kind of cause damage, Rabaka wouldn't be in my top 10 of players that are going to go on the first she wouldn't be on the first ballot to be like let's open up rod labor arena with elena rabacana like i'd be like what are you talking about (laughs) i i think if she had a better fall 2022 or even a, a better first week in 2023 she would have had a better argument for it but she was so out of form like you said like all of her like first round second round losses that it it wouldn't make sense uh, as far as like storylines go and just like being entertaining, she does give she gives zero in that department. <laughs> <Nothing>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from that standpoint, like she doesn't she's not an exciting person to root for because she doesn't really give much to the audience. Which I've made this statement in the past, like I don't think tennis players are it's their job to be entertainers. But if you want to be on TV, you kind of do have to be an entertainer when it's coming down to like deciding between does this person get a show court or the other person, the tiebreaker is going to be, is this person an entertaining player? And she's just not. She's not there yet. I mean, I think she's coming along. She may be like a, um, you know, a slow, a slow learner to how to really engage with the crowd. And I can't fault her for that not being first or second nature to her. I mean, she seems like a very quiet, mild nature girl from Moscow that now represents Kazakhstan. So I I give her, I I give her like the leeway to just be herself, but who she is, is not necessarily a ticket drawer. So if I'm, again, if I'm a tournament director looking to try to get the best amount of seats filled on Rod Laver Arena, Rabakana would have not been high up on my list. It's just it's it's just the business of the situation. But from a from a purely sports and competitive situation, now I believe now that she has now that she's shown that Wimbledon wasn't some kind of fluke and that she does deserve to be competing with the best and and can beat the best in the world, um, I do believe now she has a better case for getting show courts show courts early on in Grand Slams and bigger tournaments. So hopefully we see like in the Miami and Indy. Why do I always put Miami first? Maybe because that's like deep down the tournament I want to go to next. I have no idea. Um, I might it, be going there this year. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what my pocketbook looks like. Um, <laughs> well, after after Renaissance. I know. Don't even get me started. Please don't get me started on Renaissance. If you if you're listening to this, the Renaissance tickets they haven't dropped, but Beyonce has has announced that she's going on tour. Um, so yeah, here we are with that. Uh, maybe Rabakana would love that. <laughs> Can you see Rabakana like singing along to Heated? I couldn't see it. Not um, her, but I can see Yelena Ostapenko wearing a terrible outfit again at the concert. You, you think she'd wear her braids to the uh, to the concert? Her or oh. Urbania, probably, or Vika. One of those three. Well, one of those three is not like the other. <laughs> well, speaking of Ostapenko, Ostapenko had a really good tournament by by her recent standards. I mean, Ostapenko, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Ostapenko definitely is a Grand Slam champion. She won the 2017 French Open um, title, beating Simona Halep there and kind of like, you know, fantastic, who is this girl fashion. But since then, her her entire career has been either very hot or very cold. And this has been one of the two weeks where she just kind of got hot. She beat Coco Golf to en route to get to the quarterfinals. She also beat 
Diana Yastrzemska and some other pretty good uh, players, pretty soundly to get to the quarterfinals. And in the quarterfinals, she just wasn't she wasn't up to snuff against Rabakina. But I mean, you know. Ostapenko maybe leveling out. I don't know. As soon as I say that, as soon as it like left my mouth, I'm like, she'll probably lose like two first rounds in a row now. I don't know. But she does like the Middle Eastern swing. She won Dubai last year. So we'll see. We'll see what this level of confidence or, you know, getting to the quarters of a Grand Slam again does for her. Um, and also we mentioned Azarenka. Azarenka had kind of a renaissance of her own getting back to the Australian Open semifinals for the first time since 2013, I believe. I don't think she's been back to the uh, to the Australian Open semifinals since she won it in 2013. So that was nice to see. And she put up a really good uh, fight against Rabakina, ultimately going down in straight sets. She had a really good win in the previous round in the quarterfinals against Jessica Pagula, who... I know we spent some time on on American men, so let's try to spend a moment on American women. How do we feel about Jessica Pagula? Because I don't really know how to put my feelings. <laughs> I love her game. Oh, go ahead, Vic. You've been you've had your hand up. <laughs> well, well, it was the first match I've seen of her in a long, long, long time because the scoreline of Madrid like plagues me because I don't believe it was like six one, one six, six zero, and like it's just troublesome. So I was very curious to see how she plays with the Yonics and everything. And so I watched the, <laughs> I watched the match and, and I know they're friends and she's super young and it didn't make any sense. Like the way she would do these things and drop shots, she was all over the place. And she's number three player in the world with all these points to defend zone. So it's just, I'm waiting for Coco to do it. Cause Jessica JPEG. Yeah. It's not even funny. She, she wouldn't even do it. <laughs> Not, I mean, it's not, it's not a thing. <laughs> but I'm happy for it though. JPEG is it. JPEG is actually really a thing. I, I save a lot of my uh, digital content as JPEG. Um, what do I you think, Brian? Game. I love her game because I love. I mean, obviously, I do love big babe t- tennis, but I also do love consistent tennis. From mm-hmm. I mean, being a USTA player myself, four point oh, four point five, getting out there. I and as captain, I always tell my players, I'm like, consistency wins matches because mm-hmm. we go out, you know, you go out there, you play these people who just try to hit hard and make all these errors. And like, there's definitely something to be said about someone who can just hit a good rally ball, can stay in point, is never going to beat themselves, kind of a thing. And she does that very well. And I think obviously it's gotten her up to number three in the world. So I think. It was definitely a bit of a disappointment. Obviously, well, I also picked her to win in our little bracket challenge. I was disappointed <laughs> for that reason too. <laughs> and I obviously coming off of the huge like dest- uh, decimation of Spiontek mm-hmm. uh, two weeks before, I thought this was like finally her slam. But you know, everybody, you know, it's everyone. I don't has think. Yeah, I don't think it's so much the loss to Azarenka, right? Because if you put peak Azarenka against peak Pagula, that match, I believe, could go 50-50 or 51-49 or whatever, you know? Scoreline. But the it was it was a scoreline, and if you watched most of that match, Pagula just almost didn't show up to play. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. she was, I mean, the first set was 6-4, which is, you know, for most for most people competitive, but it was it it was kind of 6-4 was was very gracious. She just didn't feel like she dug her teeth into that match. And she for, for a player that stays very even keeled throughout matches, she was very pessimistic almost from the first point. And I, that was just very interesting to see because now at that point, that was her third consecutive 
uh, Australian Open quarterfinal. And now at this point, speaking of like how we talked earlier with Sabalenka and incremental success, but also baggage in in, in heavy moments or, uh, you know, tight moments in, in later on in Grand Slams, Pagula is now 0-5 in Grand Slam quarterfinals and hasn't won a set in any of them. So yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that's not great. If I'm laying on my pillow thinking of myself as like your future Grand Slam champion, I'm like, oh, we have a major hurdle to get over. I just need to win a set in a Grand Slam quarterfinal and then go from there, you know? So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure where I put my expectations on her. I think from this point moving forward, she'll, I don't think she'll have like a, I mean, knock on wood, I don't think she'll have a major dip because her game is just too solid. I just it's don't know. If, steady, yeah. I don't know if she'll ever get above like top three in the world. I, I, think we're seeing her at her peak rankings wise and like Vic said earlier she has a lot of points to defend in 2022 because she pretty much went she went to a quarterfinal of beyond pretty much everywhere she played like not even major she made quarterfinals of beyond of almost every tournament she played in 2022 so she interestingly she didn't win a a title and or a single title in 2022 right she did at the very end of the the very last oh that's right (laughs) she did she did the very last opportunity she won guadalajara which is a masters 1000 or one of the masters 1000 when they when they played it so she did have that to her title but i mean that's something else she has to defend in october when you know people are kind of dialing it down on the season so we'll we'll see what 2023 looks like for pagula i'm slightly nervous but you know we'll we'll see what goes on what goes forward Looking um, at the other quarterfinalists, mm-hmm. we think Pushkaville will ever win a major. <laughs> Absolutely, positively not. Not. <laughs> take her off the list. Take her off the list they always have. You can take the her off that list. To have. The greatest, you know, to never win. Do we, Yankee not, is she? not on that's there? A, I don't know. Another, not, no, I would not. say of, of the active players, do we think she's the best of the active players to not win? Absolutely, positively not. not. <laughs> who, who, who would you guys put as number one active player should not have won one? I know I have my answer, but I'm curious. Who's your, I'm, no, I'm interested. In who's your answer? Because it might jog my memory. I'm gonna go with Keys. Yes, I. You know, I'm just people might think I'm foolish for this, but the way well, she played at the United Cup, I had Keys going to my final. I did. Let, I will qualify that statement. This is like a personal, uh, mm-hmm. a personal one because obviously, like. Pushkova has a better overall career than Keys does. I just obviously root for Keys for a multitude of different reasons, but I'll put like that's like my thinking with my heart, not my head type of thing. But if you only go with like X's and O's and who's gotten the furthest and all that stuff, you kind of have to give it to Pushkova as far as like she's the most decorated mm-hmm. active player to not have a title, but as far as who I'm most rooting for, who's who's like has a good career, who has not one one, I definitely got to go with Keys for that one. Pliskova even getting to the quarterfinals was kind of curious because she was number thirty seed and thirty right. number thirty seed was being very generous, generous. kind of for the year that she had. Right, Vic? Like that was generous. <laughs> Sasha can only do so much. <laughs> Are you talking about her uh, coach Sasha Bayin? Yes. Yeah, they have an interesting <laughs> relationship. Um, I'll leave it there. Um, she <laughs> Pliskova lost to eventual semifinalists in the quarters, uh, Magdalenette, who had her breakout tournament. I've always kind of thought Magdalenette was was a good player, kind of of the same school of thought on the court of Jessica Pagula, not missing too many balls, 
underpowered just a little bit, you know, makes you run down everything. So that Didn't was good we to watch see. Her see Coco at the US Open. That was my very first perfect that was my very first Grand Slam match I watched. Right. Coco, Coco versus Magdalene. And Magdalene made her earn it. So yes. He really I remember <laughs> we got to we got to the grounds and I was the first we went to Armstrong and I was the first match we saw. Yep. And Coco brought it to three. And Lynette is, I feel like Lynette, I mean, a semifinal for her, a lot of people would be like, you know, that's very generous with her, you know, with her, you know, her talent ceiling. But I'm I'm, I'm happy for her. I, I, who knows where it could go? She's, I mean, I say only 30 in tennis, in tennis years is historically kind of old, but in recent times, it's not that bad. So she might have a couple more good years in her and we'll see how, we'll see how she goes. Cause I believe that win, uh, or not the win, the, the run to the semifinals puts her at a career high of number 22 in the world. So she's going to be seated going forward at pretty much all, you know, probably the next four majors, even the Australian open in 2024. So that's good for her. And who would have thought she would be the last Polish player in the draw? Let's say Igor Swiatek. Who who is that? Ooh, who is that? <laughs> um, and then the other quarterfinals we haven't talked about is Donna Vekic, a name I like. Uh, Vic, do you know anything about Donna Vekic? Have you ever rooted for her before? I think she had a deep run in Australia a few years ago, and I want to say was she dating Stan Wawrinka or or maybe Sasha? Or maybe Sasha was coaching her because there's something superficial I really loved about her two years ago in Australia. And I just remember her name. I was like, I like this. I think you're just a fan of anybody with a big swinging forehand and a blonde ponytail, Vic. That might be it. Maybe. Maybe the racket. I watched her, I watched her play a lot in Australia before. Um and it's yeah, I mean she's okay, good. I mean, I think she's on a she's she's having a little bit of a career resurgence because I believe she had a pretty uh pretty kind of scary knee incident that required surgery sometime in 2021, I believe, yeah. or 2020, something like that. And then in 2019, going into 2020, she had just made the quarters of the US Open, which is her best Grand Slam result. And yes. since then, since then, she's kind of been MIA due to those injuries. So it's nice to see her now working with Pam Shriver as like a, a advisor, not a, not an official coach via what Pam told her. Be what Pam told me. You know, Pam is my insider now. I'm just <laughs> but it is nice to see her kind of getting those good results. Vekage beat. Uh, I want to say she beat. Who did she beat in the in the second round? She beat uh, Ludmilla Samsonova, the number eighteen seed in the second round. Six three six love. So yeah, that was a really good result for her, and I think she played well at the United Cup. So hopefully she has a you know she can keep up that momentum and really have a resurgence twenty twenty three because I like her game. She's only what she can't be more than twenty six. Oh, I got it right. She's exactly twenty six. Um, so I She's like Donna Beckett too. Really sweet too. I randomly I spoke to her on the phone oh, yeah. a couple years back, um, just through my job and. And she was really sweet, just like very nice to talk to, just very just cheery personality. So I I root for her just because of that. And she reminds me of one of my old school faves. You remember who I told you she reminded me of? She's not old school, but you know she played I in forgot. a she played in the two thousands era. Nicole Vadasova. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Vadasova was my <laughs> girl, Nicole man. Nicole Vadasova, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait the potential because Stephanie, yeah, we love we we we. We stand. We stand. We stand by this over. Um, 
Uh, so I'll leave it up to you guys. I feel like we've talked about every quarter finalist in the women's draw up until this point. Is there anything that you haven't talked about on the women's side that you feel like we should touch on or get off Just the chest? Just a few dark horses that, you know, again, I am a Garby fan stand up. Mugarusa. It wasn't, you know, this was a bit, kind of the JPEG, the situation when he, you have a lot of points to, to defend the year prior and you have a, a soft mm-hmm. result, the fall from grace is rough. Um, so it's going to be interesting the next few months right now for Garbina. But I was disappointed because this match is winnable. And she's been going up, you know, 4-1. Very tough draw first round. But still, it's like, we need to be closing these matches out. And she's just, in the like, woods. She is in the woods. I mean, I literally watched. Because that was one of, like, the popcorn matches, or if you will, for me the it first was. round. Yeah, Who did her, you play again? Elise Mertens. And Elise Mertens oh, right, is not, right. Elise Mertens is good, but she's that's a winnable match. For a two-time Grand Slam champion, I, I think. hit someone, yes. Yes. Muguruza was up a set, and I watched her serve for it at 6-5 in the second set, and I knew, I knew that she was not going to serve out that match, let alone win it. Because she's, she's been in that predicament so many different times where she's been up a set in a break, and she doesn't close out the match. And she only won after she served for it at 6-5 in the second set. Mertens won the second, the third set 6-1. So how do you up a set and serving for it at 6-5 and then only win one more game for the entirety of the match? That's not good. I'm, I'm not sure where her psyche is now. And even as we record this, we record this, she lost first round of the WTA 250 in Lyon, France. So oh man, <laughs> it's not it's not looking too good for my girl. I mean, she's not my girl. But, yeah. Maybe she's knocked up. Doesn't know. I don't think she'd be pregnant, and, and I don't think she'd be pregnant, and you know, like traveling from Australia to Lyon. But that's just that's just my school <laughs> of thought. <laughs> but I do I do see the overall point, Vic. I mean, it would be nice to have her back up in the mix because I mean, we've seen her play darn good tennis. I mean, she's a Wimbledon and Roland Garros champ. Although both of those w- victories are so weird in the grand scheme of her career, because she has. Almost terrible results on both of those surfaces every other part of her career. Like she has no other grass court title. You know, grass court season is small and she has no other clay court title. Just Wimbledon and Roland Garros. It's so strange. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens with Muguruza's career. And maybe she needs to go up to a mountain and climb it again. Because I feel like that's what happened when she got her career back on track in 2020 when she made the Australian Open final, losing to Sophia Kennan. Sophia Kennan is somebody else I would like to touch on. Did you see her match against Azarenka, Brian? Azarenka? Yeah. yeah. Well, Vika, Vika and Kenan played first round. Yes. Oh, I missed it. I missed it. You watched that, Vic? Yeah, I saw a lot of moon balls. Yeah, I saw I remember that, too. <laughs> it was not a lot of moon balls. <laughs> it was enough. <laughs> but that was a good test for Vika, though. So, that, I mean, I get it. Two Australian Open champions first round. So, Yes. She's my call. I've been I've been steadfastly steadfastly is that even a word? Um, I've been consistent with saying that Sophia Cannon is at, is at least going to get back inside the top fifty by the end of the year. She's, top fifty probably will. Yeah, and that and I I feel like that's being a little bit generous, honestly. Top fifty, if not top thirty. I'm I'm not trying to go big on top thirty because that means he's going to be seated at majors. But I feel like I mean we all know the WTA. All it takes is like one or two big results out of one thousand, and boom, you're up in the rankings again. I mean, look at Magdalenette. Magdalenette goes from unseated at a Grand Slam to twenty two after making the semifinals. It takes one big result to get you back in the mix on WTA tour because the ranking points and the the points that divide up the players are so slim, especially once you get out of that top 20 range, the points are so slim. 
Very true. I'd like to see. I mean, she's not necessarily my favorite player, but I think she's another Grand Slam champion, a, a Roland Garros runner-up in 2020. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate somebody that has – um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, she has very noticeable and obvious grit to her game when she's playing well, and I, I appreciate that. I didn't like her when she beat Serena in 2019 French Open, but, you know, we're not going to harp right. on that. We're not going to harp on that. Do um, we think Iga is going to – continue to struggle or do you think this was just a blip i mean granted she rebecca is a, a tough opponent but do you think she, mentally she's going to be okay or will she struggle some more she got sunshine double points to defend so that's oh, i forgot she won indian wells and my oh good heavens and dubai before she yes <laughs> yeah. she got a lot like, of points to defend but I will say, though, she does have a lot of points to defend in the very, very immediate future. However, she's not losing that number one ranking until at least after the U.S. Open, because Mama is like two grand slams double. above. the. She's, she's doubled <laughs> right. the next person, number two. So, I mean, she has she has given herself very, very good padding and points. For I don't sure. think I'm not too worried about her mental side, because I think I've always seen her as somewhat of a sensitive and emotional kind of spirit. And she travels full time with somebody who is, you know, a psychiatrist or well, psychiatrist or counselor. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm not too worried in that regard. I just do think maybe she'll probably be in her own head about, Oh, wow. I have all these points to defend instead of just actually going out there and play tennis. Sometimes that can really cripple a player. If you know how many points you have to defend, especially when you had a breakthrough season, like she had in 2022, you know? So True. we shall see. I'm not too worried about her, but I, that's a good point to bring up. Brian, any other, any other points you wanted to bring up Brian or Vic? Um, for Iga, I'm excited. Um, I think she's she's fun to watch. She's animated. Um, I'm curious to see about the second part of Breaking Point. I think I think the um part two will focus a lot on her Barty's retirement and really give us the tragic Serena episode. So I think that there's going to be a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, when she retires, you mean right? Around, yeah, I think oh, okay, how, how, how Asia's claim to fame is like, uh, I can't believe that even happened still, but um. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I think Iga is playing with house money right now. She has three grand slams. She d- brutally beat Osaka, Miami last year. Did I you have to bring that, that up? Did you have to bring the brutally? Oh, up? I have to because you know I, I have to I have to go into Osaka right now because you know how I feel. And I'm just <laughs> I thought wait I just, you don't I thought you like Osaka because she's another Yonix girl. I love I love Osaka. I'm disappointed in her actions right now and and what and what's really happening. <laughs> Uh, are you disappointed that she's going to be bringing bringing a child into the world? Is that what you're disappointed at about? At this time and place, yes, because I'm still upset about what Alexis did to, to Serena. Someone's got to say it. Nike was not betting on this two years ago. No one was for mm-hmm. for, yeah. for like that. And and I get it. So to start a family, I love that for you. Create. Do your thing. Create. <laughs> now, she's a, now she's an influencer by making a child. <laughs> but my thing is, I, I have to say a little shady this. You can't do press conferences how you're going to raise a kid. But, you know, I mean, 18 I, I, years. Listen, but, listen. Like, Vic, you said it. Broken, and weren't they broken up anyway? And that's why she was losing first rounds. And then they get back. You know, enough is enough. <laughs> you like it. I love it. Happy Black History Month. Yeah. <laughs> Vic, this is why I had you on the podcast. Oh, my God. I, 
I hear what you're saying, and I'm 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 trying to err on the side of giving her grace because she is only 25 years old. But I just in the overall scope of things, the last thing that it seems it seems <laughs> like she would have needed was a child. So I get that, but I also can't blame somebody for you know doing the things that that you do to make a child, and also you know being right. adult enough, being adult <laughs> enough to keep the child. I can't. I'm not mad at that. I mean, she no. has. It's not like she doesn't have the resources. I I mean, the baby's going to be taken care of, I would imagine, from, you know, from here until forever. Well, that's the shocking thing. And I, I hope that Vika was like the mother that was like the mother she is and told her to get checked out and do the things. Because when she got Leo and, the you know, it takes time for the body to get back. Yep. And then if you're so fortunate enough to not have any legal issues with the father, I say Leo <laughs> and Vika again, she could even play Grand Slams unless it was in America. Very so fair. it's just like, you never know. <laughs> It's just it just seems like a lot. It definitely puts a wrinkle into the already kind of confusing storyline of where we are with Osaka. But again, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to err on giving that Haitian Japanese woman some grace because no one, no one else, including Vic, seems to be giving her much. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Would you say? No, not at all right now. Not, <laughs> not at all. I mean, she she said she put it out for the world to interpret that she's going to be back at the 2024 Australian Open, which seems like a very tight timeline for a woman who is still, is it called gestating a baby? Like the baby's still cooking? Like, I don't know. That's literally 11 months away. Oh, okay. So we'll circle back. Um, We'll circle back at Wimbledon, June. If the baby's not out by June, she's not playing Australia. <laughs> so wait, yeah, so how, why how long did Serena take? She gave birth in September, right? And she was playing the U.S. Open the next year. Well, she played well, she, well, she she as well. That's crazy. That, when you think about that, that's crazy. She gave birth that in September. Like, that and was, was like six months. And played. It was in the finals. <laughs> yeah, well, she, well, no, she even, she got to the third round of Indian Wells. And she won. She she won two rounds in in Indian Wells, and then yeah, yeah and then lost to Venus. Yeah, that's crazy. And then I mean, yeah, she lost. I was like the first round Miami after that. Yeah, that was we don't we don't bring up that match. That was terrible. That was awful <laughs> tennis. Um, but that's unprofessional. But for her to come back <laughs> that soon. That was like yeah, six seven months, and she's much older than Osaka, so Osaka can come back. But does the, but does Osaka have the mental tools and fortitude? Not saying that she doesn't. I'm just posing the question of Serena. Of Serena, you know. I mean, she definitely does not. Nobody does. No one does. Very fair. Very fair. I just I I, I would hate. Not, I'm not gonna say I would hate because it's her life. I just want to see her happy, which it doesn't seem like. It doesn't seem like she's been even like touching the word happiness for the past year or so. Um, but again, I, I did some research, just kind of falling down a YouTube a YouTube uh, hole. Mama has been crying in press conferences since even before being a world number one and Grand Slam champion. That's kind of what she. I feel like some people are criers and some people are not. She is just not really one of those people that takes too well to people like sitting there asking her the hard questions immediately after losses. For some reason, that's just not a a, a, a advantageous kind of process for her. So if you look back at it, I think she lost. I think she lost to Kaya Kanepi in the 2017 U.S. Open, and there were tears at that press conference. And I, the moderator was like, "Are you sure you want to finish this?" And she wasn't even really a household name at that point. So, you know. We'll see what happens with Naomi Osaka. We'll also see, I'm looking at the draw here. We'll see what happens with Bianca Andrescu. She was somebody who I wanted to make a little bit more noise in this Australian Open, but did not. Um, 
and she doesn't really have points to defend, but she needs to start getting some points on her ranking if she wants to be back up in that top the top 10 again, which I feel like her game deserves to be. So we will show me see. the money. You're showing the money. But here's another one. Like, I'm like, you know, ROI, I'm waiting to invest. You know, <laughs> if, I'm, you know, if I'm with Nike right now, okay, it's time. Oh, yo, mental health. Cool. Tank sabbatical, sabbatical, sabbatical. Lovely. It's time. <laughs> yeah. And I saw ESPN the other day. I got a, you know, a, a balloon alert. Oh, um, Bianca wins. Um, great match point, but she was up five one, and then she lost four. I mean, she won in, in you know um, six four, six four, and it's the second set. Like, make it make yeah. sense. Yeah, that loss that she took. These are the gimme matches. You should be winning. You know. I agree. She lost to a qualifier who I didn't even know played tennis before the Australian Open in the second round. So that's definitely not good. But I want to end this episode on a positive note. So, um, can either of you guys think about? Uh, a positive takeaway from this year's 2020 or three Australian Open. Vic, if you would like to, this is your chance to go back to Novak Djokovic. I'm giving you the floor. You have you have sub two minutes. <laughs> I think that that change is coming, and I think that if you don't step up to the plate, then you'll get lost. And uh, Novak is it's his year. Who knows if he can even do the sunshine double? But he's focused. It's like Serena was part of her career. He's focusing on showing up. And making history, and when you're chasing his history, it's an exciting time to watch whoever you are. So I think he's on that journey, and that's exciting. Um, the men they got um, they got to catch up. Um, whoever wants to take it needs to take it, and the women's game is very exciting too. We have inter- interesting storylines. The people who want to break out, but we're still waiting for for that next star. If ego falls off, then it's open season for everyone again. And that's a beautiful time about women's tennis, especially clay. Um, a lot of points out there, a lot of fun times. Very so, fair. Brian. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Vic. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm excited and just ready. That's it. It's this exciting time. <laughs> Brian, you got 60 seconds, less than 60 seconds. Tell us how you feel before we get out of here. I think I was most impressed with the American men and just very hopeful to see that they can keep it going. And hopefully make some waves and actually win a major because it's been a long time since an American man has, has won a major. So uh, maybe someone can step up and get the job done. This year makes 20 years at the U S open. It'll be 20 years since Andy Roddick won. That's crazy. <laughs> Isn't that something? 20 that's whole insane. years. That's insane. That's well, insane. This episode has definitely been insane as well. <laughs> I appreciate both of you for taking time out of your schedules on a random Wednesday to talk about the Australian open and come on a tune into tennis and give us your thoughts. Uh, I appreciate it as always. And I will see you both off to have a wonderful black history month. Thank you very much. All right. See ya. Take care guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.